the CARES Act and class actions, Dylan Ruga of Stalwart Law Group joins us. I'm Lawrence Coletti, and this is Legal Talk Today. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dylan. How's everything going in Los Angeles? Uh, It's sunny and bright, so can't complain. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's one nice thing about Southern California is even in the uh, midst of a pandemic, the weather uh, tends to be fairly nice. That's right. Got to look at the bright side. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, again, thank you uh, for being on the air with us today. And uh, your firm uh, just recently filed a class action complaint on April 19th against J.P. Morgan Chase, of all entities. And it related to their lending practices within the Paycheck Protection Program. Of course, that's from the uh, recently passed CARES Act. And so in this complaint, you put forth several causes of action. And so, Dylan, let's use that as a starting off point to just kind of give our audience a little bit more context to this. So as briefly as you can, can you summarize the facts of your case and then just you know list or walk through the causes of action? Yeah, sure. And um, just to clarify, we sued not only J.P. Morgan Chase, but also Wells Fargo, Bank of America, and U.S. Bank, um, all really for the same thing, which is um, the way that they processed applications for um, PPP program loans. Our allegations are that the banks, uh, rather than processing these applications on a first-come, first-served basis as they were required to do, um, they prioritized those loans with the highest loan amounts. And they did that because the higher loans generated higher origination fees for the bank. And so by prioritizing the loans in this way, they generated fees in excess of what they should have generated by um, about $500 million across the four banks that uh, we have sued. So we sued them in California federal court, and uh, we have also sued uh, J.P. Morgan Chase in uh, New York federal court. And the causes of action uh, really boil down to unfair competition, uh, deceptive trade practices, and concealment. Uh, And the concealment claim is that um, they encourage people to apply for these um, these loans with the banks, but they concealed from the public how they were prioritizing the applications that they had received. And if the public knew what they were doing, then small business owners would have gone to other banks that were processing them on a first come, first served basis. Okay, I want to stay right there with the uh, which is the first come, first serve requirement of the Paycheck Protection Program. So, where exactly does that come from in the scope of these type of loans? Sure. So the um, the government issued interim uh, rules that were supposed to govern uh, how the banks implemented the PPP program. And uh, those rules are now uh, codified uh, in the uh, Code of Federal Regulations. And um, they spell out exactly um, kind of what the banks were supposed to do. They set forth the uh, origination fees for the bank and also the rules by which the program was supposed to be implemented. Okay. And then when you were going through the process of analyzing the case, how did you figure out that Chase was, according to what you allege, prioritizing the loans on amount rather than first come, first serve? Sure. Well, the SBA, Small Business Administration, um, released some data to the public. Some of that data was very interesting, and it showed that the average loan amount uh, across all banks for people who got these PPP loans was about $206,000. The average loan amount, though, for loans processed by J.P. Morgan Chase was over twice that amount. And so um, once we we saw that and saw that uh, Chase was uh, issuing these loans at you know twice the amount of what the average was that raised our eyebrows. And when we started digging in a little bit further, uh, we saw that they were front loading 
these uh, larger loan applications. Now, I want to focus just briefly on the incentive for Chase. So as you allege, they were doing this because they were going to make more money off the origination fees if they went with a larger loan. So uh, just kind of walk me through that process. What does that mean? I know there were several different tiers. Yeah. So uh, the PPP program allows banks to um, you know, charge origination fees for processing the loans, and that's fine. Um, but the uh, the structure of um, the way it works is that they get 5% of loans up to, I don't have it in front of me, I think it's up to two hundred dollars or $350,000. Then they get 3% for loans uh, up to $2 million. Then they get 1% of loans up to uh, the $10 million max. So if uh, Chase was processing uh, loans for $10 million, like we know that they did for Shake Shack and for Ruth Chris and others, uh, they were getting $100,000 just for processing that loan. Wait, is there any reasonable argument that uh, lending institutions could make to say, hey, listen, we understand that uh, we're supposed to take these first come, first serve, but also uh, we, we analyze certain credit risks. And so the bigger the organization, the more safe from a lending perspective they might be to us. Is there any argument they can say in defense using that? Well, uh, the banks can make any argument that they want, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, if they come up with a, a lot of spurious arguments. But um, the PPP program uh, lays out the eligibility requirements, and creditworthiness is is not one of them. Also, these loans that uh, are being processed by the bank are being guaranteed by the federal government, so the bank's not putting any of its own money at risk. If there's any default, uh, the government will pay back the loan amount. All right, I want to I want to get back to the reshuffling of the Paycheck Protection Program lending application. So you you were talking about in, in your allegations in your complaint, you were saying that this damaged your client, and so in so doing, you were talking about the eggs in one basket, kind of as an analogy. Can you walk us through how the reshuffling and delays hurt your client and other businesses like your client? Sure. So the the bottom line is that by reshuffling the applications and and therefore extracting more money out of the pot, Chase and these other banks left um, less money available for small businesses. So um, again, um, based on the way that they did this, uh, Chase, we, we believe, took um, at least $140 million in origination fees more than they should have if they were processing this on a first come, first serve basis. So that's $140 million that could have gone to small businesses, that should have gone to small businesses, but instead went in Chase's pocket. Now, part of the PPP says that you're only allowed to receive one loan. If you're a business, you can only get one PPP loan. And some people interpreted that to mean that you can only apply for the loan at one bank. And and the banks certainly did what they could um, to encourage people to apply only once. Um, And so these folks, because they believed that their uh, applications would be processed on a first come, first serve basis, had no reason to submit a second application somewhere else at, at a bank that would, in fact, comply with the rules. And I would imagine the delays also potentially could have played against some business strategy and how long uh, on the time horizon that you were looking to not furlough your employees. I, I would imagine that was probably a factor as well. Is that correct? Yeah, for sure. We've heard from uh, countless small businesses over the last couple of days that um, you know they were depending on these banks to do the right thing. And and um, because the banks wouldn't communicate with them and the banks didn't tell them what was going on, um, they were just kind of kept in the dark. And as a result, they've had to lay people off. Some of them have had to close their doors even in the past week or two. 
Okay, just a couple of quick questions here. So just uh, what type of damages are you looking to uh, collect? And then potentially, are there other consequences outside of damages for Chase if the courts found that they did wrong in this particular case? Well, first and foremost, uh, what we're really trying to achieve in this lawsuit is holding the banks accountable for what they've done and also just raising public awareness uh, about what's going on with the program. We've heard that the program is going to be replenished uh, imminently, and that's that's great news. And hopefully now that we have brought this uh, issue to the forefront, banks know that they are being watched and, and they hopefully do the right thing going forward. So really, um, if we get nothing else out of this lawsuit, we are satisfied that we have achieved that objective of getting the banks to, to do the right thing going forward. Um, but as it comes to money damages, we are going to ask for um, all of the excess fees that the banks generated by prioritizing the applications in this way. We're going to ask for that money to uh, go to the class members and be distributed to all the small businesses that applied for these loans, but um, you know, and, and were eligible to receive them, but didn't get them because of the ways that the uh, banks prioritized them. All right. So just one last question for you, Dylan. You know, if you're a business out there, you find yourself in a similar situation waiting for this uh, Paycheck Protection Relief Program lending uh, to come over to you and uh, you're just on a waiting and you suspect that you may have been deprioritized. What are your next steps? What should you be looking to do? Um, if it were me, I would be looking at uh, small and regional banks or other places that are uh, processing SBA PPP loans that don't have as long of a queue. Some of these big banks have uh, apparently hundreds of thousands of applications that they've received, and it's, it's a very long line. There are, um, you know, like I said, smaller and regional banks that are able to process these applications for you and um, are hungry for your business. So um, there's no reason not to be exploring those as other options at this point. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Dylan. If our listeners, they have questions, how can they find you? I'm available. Uh, my email is my first name, Dylan, D-Y-L-A-N, at stalwartlaw, S-T-A-L-W-A-R-T, law.com. All right. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please rate us in your favorite podcasting app. Also, be sure to check out our COVID-19 resources for lawyers on our website, LegalTalkNetwork.com. That's LegalTalkNetwork.com. This has been Legal Talk Today. I'm Lawrence Coletti. Stay strong, everybody. <laughs> Thank you.